2.9. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again on you, upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head and the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Good morning, church. You can uh, prepare your team talks for your kids while you take your seats. And if you want to say hi to someone, now's your gap. Thanks to the band for doing such a great job. Well done, guys. <laughs> I didn't notice. Well, happy Good Friday. It's uh, super special to be together in this shortened but uh, really important meeting that we get to have. It's, in my mind, the high point of the calendar. It's the most important thing that we get to celebrate as followers of Jesus. We've got one slide, and uh, we're going to carry on through our Jonah series, mainly because uh, Jesus spoke about himself as the true and better Jonah. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus said of himself about the Easter story that was coming. He said, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Isn't that amazing? He knew that he was going to be a kind of Jonah. In fact, he was going to be the true and better Jonah, the one who would come and actually fulfill everything that we needed out of the problems of life. One of the most important things about you, and in fact, one of the most important things about God is how we deal with pain, how we go through pain. And actually, one of the most important questions you could ask of God is, what do you do when pain comes into the world? And Easter is God's resounding answer to the problem of pain. It's, uh, I think it's, uh, I don't know who sings this. You guys can tell me. Who knows the song, Kill Him With Kindness? You, you know, yeah, no, nobody knows it. Am I the only one? Selena Gomez. Oh, thank you. That's why we have you. Selena Gomez. That's why the kids are in the meeting today. 
Selena Gomez, kill him with kindness. Where do you think Selena Gomez got her lyrics from? She needed a story 2,000 years old to understand that there was a place, this story had never been imagined. There was no uh, historic version of a story where radical, sacrificial kindness would be the very thing that would bring about a victory. It was unthought of. There, there was no story like it. You couldn't imagine it. The only way that you would win a victory in, in uh, times before Christ was you would beat people. You would kill them. You'd move them out the way. And suddenly, into the world comes God himself, and he flips the narrative completely, and he gives narratives and stories to people like Selena Gomez, who are still singing songs that say, kill him with kindness. He turns the world upside down by saying it is kindness that's going to win the battle. It's kindness that's going to do what you never thought could possibly be done. Luke chapter 23, verse 44 says it like this. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last John tells the story slightly differently in that he adds a detail. It says, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Today we soberly look at this remarkable story where the world was turned upside down. We look at a moment where God chose to willingly die on our behalf. I want to break up my talk into two small halves, and the first one is I want to look at what did Jesus do for us on the cross, what exactly was finished when he said it is finished, and then what should we do in response. So let's ask that question, what was finished? What did he do for us? When Jesus is on that cross and he says, it is finished, what was finished? What was finished? What had happened? He wasn't just shouting out any words he possibly could shout out. These were deeply symbolic. I want to suggest three things that were finished that moment on the cross. When Jesus shouted, it is finished, firstly, he shouted, the war on sin and Satan and death is over. What a remarkable moment. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says it like this. It says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It's on the cross. It's not on Sunday when Jesus rises from the dead. It's in Jesus' sacrificial death, this amazing moment where he kills the enemy with the kindness of God. The enemy would have thought he's rubbing his hands as he goes, I could get rid of the Son of God, the one who's come. This is God's one and only Son. Unbeknownst to the enemy, God had planned this all along. It was always his master plan to get into the underbelly of the world of darkness and flip it upside down and to win the victory once and for all over sin and Satan and death. Hey, kids, I hope you're listening. What's the game? I want you to listen. What's the game that is named after the word, the number one? What's the game? It's a card game. When you've got one card left, you shout it out. Uno, Uno I heard some Unos. Caden, nice work. Uno, who likes the game Uno? Me too. And I might have a little bit of a competitive streak in me, and I don't mind winning. In fact, I've never lost at Uno, by the way. And... Um, 
when I play Uno, and we play as a family, you know, you, you get your last card and you shout Uno, and then that wonderful moment arrives where you see the person next to you puts down the color card that you've got, and you don't tell anyone, and you hold on tight, and you're looking, and they put down a green one, and you know you've got a green two, and you're the only person with one, and you put it down, and you do a terribly timed victory dance around the table, and you show everyone that you're the winner, and you cheer because you're the victor. The interesting thing happens in our family is that the game goes on because we want to fight for second, third, fourth, and fifth position. Even though I've won it and I get to watch them, they go, no, I want to know who comes second. We carry on. It's a bit like that on the cross, by the way. You see, what happens is Jesus wins the victory. He beats sin, Satan, and death. He wins an amazing victory, but life carries on. The battle keeps going. Satan doesn't want to give up. There is a day coming where the end will come. Jesus says he's coming back. But the, the game continues. There is still a sense that Satan wants to, to push back. But here's the good news. On the cross, Jesus won. He has disarmed the powers and the authorities. He's made a public spectacle of them. The, the enemy thought they were making a public spectacle of Jesus. You know, the Roman way of making a spectacle of the enemy was to hang them on a cross naked and make them look like a fool. Little did the powers of darkness know that the very opposite was happening. That as the Son of God hung there, looking shameful, he was shaming darkness, and love was becoming the victor over darkness. Hey, on the cross, the war against sin and Satan and death was won. It was over. Secondly, the end of limited access to God began. The end, there was no longer a limited access to God. You can go to the next slide. The boom gate to God was broken. Listen to Luke chapter 23. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. This is a very significant moment. This wasn't just any curtain that was torn in two. Uh, when I was a little kid, I, well, we were staying at a holiday home, friends of ours in Kenton, and I fell asleep, and I, my duvet fell off the edge of my bed, and, uh, and I didn't even know I was doing this, but I woke up in the morning, and the window was wide open with no curtain, but I was snug and warm, wrapped in the curtain that I had ripped off the curtain rail in the middle of the night. This is not that kind of curtain. This is not the one that was torn off. This curtain is the curtain that was in the temple, the curtain that symbolized the very presence of God. Once a year, the, the priest would go into, and, uh, into the, the Holy of Holies, and this curtain covered over what was the, the presence of God, the, the mercy seat of God, the place that symbolized God's mercy, but, but there was such a limited access. Only one person once a year could really know the beautiful and lovely presence of God. Amazingly, symbolically, and powerfully, the moment Jesus dies on the cross, this curtain is ripped in two, and it symbolizes the presence of God being made available to all. Have you realized this? Do you know that you've got access to the presence of God? We were at the airport the other day, or I was. I drove in the evening traffic. I eventually get to the airport, and uh, it's a hot summer's day, and I sneak into the airport, and I'm waiting in the, you know, the pickup area at the airport. It's an absolute, it's chaos, and um, I was already a little flustered, and I messaged my family to say, I'm here. Are you guys here? 
And you know you've got the 20-minute window, right? And if you don't uh, get out within 20 minutes, you have to pay 28 rand. 28 rands, I do not like to pay. And so I message and I go, are you nearly out? Yes, we're nearly out. We'll be there now. Are you sure? Yes, we're sure. We'll be out now. And I'm watching and I know that I've got nine minutes left. You better be out quickly because we've got to pack these things in and we've got to go out. Are you sure I shouldn't go do another loop? No, we will be there. We'll be out. Don't worry. Okay. Eventually, they arrive a little longer than I expected. And no, I wasn't frustrated. I was just frustrated. And so <laughs> I put, the, put their baggage in the back, and I shove them in. And I'm also trying to be kind because they're my parents and my, my nephew. And we hug each other. Get in the car. We hug each other. Get in the car. Let's go. So I'm rushing to make sure I don't pay my 28 rand. Eventually, we get to the, the little ticket place, and they're all in the car. And we've waited in the queue. And I push my ticket in, and 28 rand. 28 rand, and you can't pay it there. That's the worst part. It's not like Table Bay Mall. You can swipe your card and you can drive out. You can't pay it there, so I push the button. I don't feel like paying 28 rand, and I can't get out because there's this annoying exit lane and you can't quite get access to it, so I'm a little bit frustrated. Did I mention that? But I've got my family that I haven't seen for a long time, so I'm actually smiling on the outside. But I'm frustrated, and so I... Push the button and you wait like through about four different languages of a robotic lady who eventually gives you a real person. And the line is so bad that I can't hear what she's trying to say to me. So I'm like trying to be polite, but I meant, did I mention I'm a bit frustrated? And so I'm, I'm trying to talk to this lady, but I can't understand what is going on. Anyway, I feel like she basically cuts out, and I'm like, okay, I've got to turn around, I've got to go into this exit lane, I've got to find a gap, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to pay my 28 rand, and I will eventually get out, and I'm frustrated. So as I do this, I see a gap, and I turn the car begrudgingly, and I'm now beyond the point of return. I've gone past, I can no longer move forward. In the most kind of monotone, calm voice, my mother and my nephew both at the same time say, why didn't you drive through the boom? It just opened for you. <laughs> it, did I mention I was frustrated? <laughs> I had too, I'd gone too far. I couldn't reverse. I couldn't go through the open boom. I didn't even see it. I, they said it was open for you. You could have gone. Do you know that on the cross, that's exactly the story? This, this amazing curtain is torn in two. The boom gate is open. God says, also whoever will may come into the presence of God. No price, no moral performance. You don't need to be amazing. Jesus took the punishment on your behalf. The boom gate has been opened so that anyone who wants to know and enjoy the love and the presence and the power and the wonder of their creator God can come into his presence free of charge no pay, it's yours. Just put the ticket of faith in and say, here I am, Lord. You're my creator. You're the one who died on my behalf. You dealt with the problem of pain and sin and sickness. I accept. The boom opens up. You drive through. But I think so many of us miss out in the frustration and the annoyance and the bitterness of life that we look and we go, it can't be that good. I will show you I can do it. I prove myself with my strength and my power and my self-will and my morality and, and my career and my cash and what I can, uh, you know, achieve. And Jesus goes, no, no, none of that. I died. I did it all. I lived the life you could never live. I died the death that, that you probably should have died because you didn't perform the way you should have. Now the boom gate opens. Just take it. 
just open your eyes and walk through is the invitation of the cross. Hey, the next thing that was finished on the cross was the end of condemnation. Condemnation was finished. I know it's a big word, but condemnation is basically the verdict that you're guilty. The verdict that you're guilty. Don't know if you noticed that Jesus says this. He says, Father, now this is not like any old words. This is a, a man hanging on a cross. He's looking at the people who put the nails through his hands and his feet, and he looks at them and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's remarkable. This is, this is penned by some reliable authors. Four of them all say that he said the same thing. Father, forgive them. He, they don't know what they're doing. What remarkable forgiveness. Do you know why life is so incredibly tiring? Because we hold such heavy standards for ourselves and for others. We're so exhausted by life because you know what? We put standards on ourselves. We say, this is what I should be doing. And, and, and we put standards on others that we say that's what they should be doing. And we don't even live up to our own standards. We don't live up to other standards. And you know what else? We put standards that we think God has put upon us. And we don't live up to those either. And we wake up in the world basically with a heavy cloud of a sense that I haven't really done what I probably should have done. And I haven't really performed the way I probably should have performed. And I'm just not matching up to my standard of what a human should really be doing. They're the standards of the kind of do life well standards. International accreditation, the do life well standards, they set up all over us. And whether it's the person, uh, other people, we think they, what they set for us, maybe it's a boss, a family member, you wake up to, to a spouse and you go, oh, no, I'm just not matching up to what you wish I was. Or maybe it's a friend or, or a colleague, or maybe it's yourself. We live in a kind of courtroom where these accusations, they fly at us all over the show and we ask ourselves, am I doing okay? And the answer comes with this booming, resounding cross language where Jesus says, Father, forgive them. It's almost as though he comes into the courtroom of your life and he says, step out of that one. I know you don't live up to your own standards, but come, I wanna step you out of that one. I know that, that, that the people that are around you, you wish they lived up to, step them out of the courtroom. You need grace. Hey, step yourself out of the courtroom and, and stop judging others because he never judged you. The love of God comes to you and he says, I forgive you. You step out of the courtroom. The cross is the great invitation to step out of the courtroom and to receive God's amazing love, to realize that he adopts you as his child, he accepts you for who you are, and he defeats the word of condemnation, the word of guilt that you might put over your life. He says, it's finished. It is finished. Say to the person next to you, it is finished. So we're... And we're back. Thank you, Eskom. We're now powered by you. So what do we do in response? We, we know that it's finished. How good timing was that, hey? Load shedding is finished for a while. Condemnation is finished. What a wonderful thought. Access to God is open. The war against sin and Satan and death is finished, so what do we do? Well, let's take our cue quickly from Jonah. Firstly, like Jonah, wait with Jesus in the place of pain. Wait with Jesus in the place of pain. 
In my distress, said Jonah, I called to the Lord, Lord, and he answered me. From the deep realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Here's the thing. We are going through pain all the time. Maybe it's the pain of your own judgment over yourself. Maybe it's the pain of a deeply strained relationship. Maybe it's the pain of, of somebody's word over your life that is crippling you. Maybe it's the word of your own past that follows you and you simply just can't seem to escape it. Maybe it's the pain of, of just the situation you're in. Lost something dear to you. Facing some real pain. Jesus invites us in the cross to wait with him. Why does he wait? Why does he, why, where do I get that from? Well, Jesus has two moments on the cross that are very significant. The first moment is recorded where it says they, they tried to give him what was called wine vinegar. And they tried to offer some, what people would say was an anesthetic to just numb the pain. And Jesus turns it down. He says, no, I won't take that. Jesus knew that he needed to drink the full cup of the wrath and the pain of God upon sin. Hey, the, the, the second thing is, is people shout and said, hey, why don't you just get angels? They could take you off the cross if you're the son of God. And they, they mock him. And, and no doubt Jesus could have got angels to pull him off the cross anytime. But he didn't because he wanted to go the full, final route of redemption for you and I. But that means that you and I also have the offer of false escapes. You know, what is your escape? What is the thing that you sometimes are tempted to do? Maybe it's the wine. Maybe it's the booze. Maybe it's the drugs. Maybe it's the food. Maybe it's the social media. Maybe it's an adventure. Maybe it's the kind of people you want to be with. Some way to escape the pain of the fact that life just isn't working exactly how you hoped it would. We have these escapist behaviors. Sometimes our escapist behavior is moralism. Just be a good person and I will push away the, the badness. No, Jesus says, like Jonah, wait with me on the cross. Don't rush through your pain. Don't rush through this difficult season. Wait with me in it. I will walk you through it. I have been through it, says Jesus, and I will walk through your cross experience. I love you enough to go through the cross. And if you're in pain, trust me. Don't escape it through some false uh, means. Walk with me because I'll take you to Sunday. Sunday is coming. Jonah's in the belly of the whale, and for the first time, he starts to realize that God is a good God, and that maybe, just maybe, this moment in the belly of the whale could be the beginning of the end for him, the beginning of salvation, the end of an old life and the start of a new one. He's the first time in his life he has this, this moment of trust. You'll see in the next uh, verses that we read, he starts to see that God is kind. God is gracious. Hey, don't run away from your pain. Run to Jesus in your pain and let him take you to Sunday because when you find Sunday and you resurrect with Jesus out of your pain, having held onto him, not tried to escape from him or from other means of facing it, you'll see the grace of God come to you, which is my second and final thought. Like Jonah, wait in the grace of God. He says in verse nine, but I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. This is the first time Jonah gets it. He's not bound in his moralism and he's not bound in being a good person and performing like a good Israelite prophet. It's the first time he goes, I have nothing to offer. God is gonna have to save me from this. 
Maybe life feels like you're enclosed in the belly of a whale. Maybe life feels like you're claustrophobic under the difficult circumstances you're in. Here's the thing. Lean on God's grace. God's grace is simply His undeserved kindness over us. J.I. Packer says one of the reasons we don't understand the grace of God is because we don't understand three simple things. We don't understand, firstly, that we're sinners and we don't deserve it. Hey, all of us have got some stuff in our lives. We live in a therapeutic world that says, you can do it, you're the strongest, you're the best, and the gospel comes and says, no, you can't, and you're not. You've actually got some stuff that needs fixing, and it needs the outside to come fix it. You need, you need an external source. His name is Jesus. Firstly, we don't deserve it. Secondly, we can't save ourselves. As much as we'd like to believe that maybe our good moral performance could save us, could make us right with God, could make us feel like the guilt is gone, it's not possible. We don't deserve it. We can't save ourselves. And thirdly, it was greatly costly. It was greatly costly. Do you know that if it, 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 Friday would be a great celebration if it wasn't for us. We'd celebrate because Friday, Jesus came and disarmed the powers. It's, it's victory day. The reason it's a somber day is because what it cost God to save you and I. Because of what it was, was required to redeem people like us. It's sobering that it is necessary that God would go to a cross on our behalf. If you want to understand the grace of God, you need to understand that we don't deserve it. We can't save ourselves. And it was immensely costly to God himself. And that's why we take communion today. We take communion because we come to the God who chose to pay the price on our behalf who chose to save us, even though we don't deserve it. And so as we go to communion now, what we're going to do is we're going to do it slightly differently. We're going to take communion in a way that uh, we're going to take it together. So you're going to come up and get the elements, and then you're going to take them back, and we're all going to take communion together. So just hold on to the elements, and I'll lead us through it. If I could ask, um, as parents, if you could take responsibility for who in your family uh, can take communion or can't, uh, we generally say, hey, if, you, if you've been baptized, you believe in Jesus, then take communion. Um, but also, possibly for the sake of numbers, we're asking you to uh, just hold back potentially if you're sort of got super young kids who just want the bread and the juice for the sake of that. We may not have enough. So, um, if we could just use our discretion there as best we can. Was that skillful enough? I hope so. Um, so we're going to do that. If you could come get the elements, and then I'll lead us through a moment where we take communion together. <laughs>